This is Jason Hansen, pastor of Anchor Church. Thank you for jumping onto our sermon podcast. My prayer is that as you listen to this sermon, you're encouraged in your walk with Jesus and that you live for him in all of life. Enjoy the sermon now. Welcome. If I haven't met you, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, it's good to have you here. Thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, we are jumping into a new series um, called What Remains, and really this series, What Remains, is not just going to be a series we go through in January. It's going to actually be our theme for the whole year. If all else fails, if everything goes away, if your life, things crumble, and oh no, what's going on? The question is, what remains? Is it, is, does faith remain? Uh, do, does, does anything remain? Have you built your life in such a way where something remains if all else fails? Because at the end of the day, uh, everything will fail you. At the end of the day, death will come to you. It's going to come to everybody. And the question is, what remains? And we want to make sure that we have it firmly grounded. And so we're, we're, we're in this, going to start this series uh, really talking about our, our mission and our values, and where we're going, and what we want to, how we want to think, what we're calling you to. Uh, this is we do this every January. It really is a couple different things. It's a reminder for those of you that have been here last year, or the year before that. Uh, it's it's a, uh, a maybe a, a new thing for some of you if you've come within the last year to understand what our what is our mission, what are our values, and it's also uh, this year even a little bit more. It's a call for you because. Um, we, we want to talk a little bit about what it means to partner together as a church on the mission that we're on. What does it mean for you to essentially be a member of Anchor Church? What does that look like for you? So this month, we're going to be talking a lot about those things. And um, I really encourage you to try and come to, to every single week because it's going to finish with uh, Compassion Sunday and what that looks like for us thinking through just even outside of Arizona and outside of the United States um, in, in another way, because we, we already partner with developing workers. This is just another added thing that we're going to be also bringing into it and how we can process through generosity that way too. So with that, um, open your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where we're going to be kind of launching from this morning. The, the question, as we think about our, our mission, so think about our mission as a church, the question that we really want to wrestle with at the very beginning and the outset and for you to understand is, what, what makes Anchor Church, and, and I would actually say what makes any Christian church, it doesn't matter if it's in the States, outside the States, if it's in Arizona, outside Arizona, what makes a Christian church Christian? What, what is it about Anchor Church? We'll use us as an example since we're talking about us. What is it that makes us uniquely Christian? What separates us from the mosque up the street? What is different about, what is different about us? We can say, well, the God we worship, sure, but we, we can say, you know, we worship God. Well, the, the, the mosque down the street says the same thing. They worship God. So what's, what's unique about Christians? And the answer is in the name, isn't it? Christians, it's about... We worship the triune God. We worship God, the second person specifically, who came down to die for us and, and rise from the dead. And, and God you know, gave himself for us. It's the Jesus part. It's the reality of, 
of the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and in the very name Christian, Christ is magnified. We see this in things like Revelation 5, where where after Jesus died, the, the, the people in heaven, all the elders and the saints sang a new song, and they worshiped the Lamb. We sang it this morning. The Lion and the Lamb. We worship the Lamb that was slain. There's something specific about that. We want to make much of Jesus because it makes us who we are. We have to make much of Jesus. So my big idea this morning is very simple. As we talk about our mission, what are, what are we about? Our mission is simply this, to get more of Jesus. This is a very simplistic way to actually restate our actual mission statement. That's not our actual mission statement. That's a summation of our mission statement. Our mission statement actually is inviting people to live generously for Jesus in all of life. That's what Anchor Church, we exist to invite people to live generously for Jesus in all of life. It means that we are inviting people on the outside to join us in our living generously for Jesus. And we use the word generously intentionally. Generous, uh, the word generous is often co-opted in our culture to just mean money. And it does mean money, but it means more than that. It means time, and it means effort, and energy, and, and it means friendship, and hospitality. There's a lot that we, we want to make sure we understand about that word gener- generosity. So our mission statement is inviting people to live generously for Jesus in all of life. Summed down, it means our mission is to just get more of Jesus, which is what I want to talk about today. We want to get more of Jesus. When we think about what we are and what we're doing, everything we want to do is pointing to Him. Everything we do flows from Him. The Spirit of God that's in us, resurrection power, the, the, the purpose of the Spirit, Jesus sent that Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to us, to yes, to equip us and train us and empower us, but really to highlight the mission of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to make sure that we, we get more of Him. We are, we are all about Him. The question is, as we do that, what does that mean for us? What do we get? And that might sound like a self-serving question. It is, because that's how we think. <laughs> I think sometimes, a lot of times, we're motivated by just, well, okay, well, what do I get out of this? You think, well, we shouldn't think that way. Agreed, but we do. So that's what we're going to answer as we go through it. This is how we're going to think about it. What does it mean for us to get more of Jesus? And we're going to jump off of this from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. I'm actually going to start in verse... Uh, 13, just for some context. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. This is Paul. For if we are out of our mind, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us. Since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. This is uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. This is 
not his second letter to the Corinthian church. This is likely his, I don't know, anywhere from third to fifth letter to the Corinthians. But this is, we only have two um, that we, that we uh, have, but, but this, is, this is not just the second letter. There's, there's been a number of letters, two are preserved. This, this is Paul's writing to a specific church in Corinth. And rumor had kind of come through, and this has been told a lot of times, that Paul was somebody who was not sane. He was out of his mind. And Paul's arguing with the Corinthians, uh, letting them know he's not out of his mind. He's trying to help them understand, no, I'm in my right mind. But you notice in verse 13, he references being out of his mind. He says, "If if I'm out of my mind, in verse 13, he says, if that's what, what we are, uh, it's for God. And the reason people say that he's out of his mind is likely because of the zeal he has for the proclamation of the gospel. He, he, he has been harmed for this proclamation. He's been shunned for the proclamation. He's been removed from fellowship because of it. And he will not cease proclaiming and talking about and giving his life for Jesus. And there's people that look at him and say, this man is nuts. This man is out of his mind. And Paul's saying, well, maybe so. But if I am out of my mind, it's because of the Lord. If I'm thinking rightly, it's because of you. Nevertheless, people are saying that he's out of his mind, and he wants to give them an understanding of why it is that he's so passionate about the proclamation of Jesus and why Jesus is so important to him. And we want to grasp why Paul believes that because, church, listen, we also want to be that way. Wouldn't it be a shame if we got to the end of our lives and and Paul said, hey, Man, did you guys, did people think you were crazy because you, you loved Jesus so much? And maybe we'd go, oh, not really. He might say, really? I wonder, I wonder why. Didn't you read 2 Corinthians chapter 5? Say, well, may, yeah, we did, but if we didn't really get it. Listen, let's get it this morning, okay? Let's understand what Paul means. Paul can't get enough of Jesus. He can't. He can't get enough of who Jesus is, and we want to we grasp this. Paul sees Jesus and the love that he has for him as an absolute gift. We want to see it too. Notice in verse 14, my my first point, by the way, I have two points. My first point is that we have been gifted life. This This is Paul's first understanding of why it is that he loves Jesus. What is it about it? He's been gifted life. Look at verse 14. It says, For the love of Christ compels us. This love of Christ, Paul's out of his mind. He loves Jesus because the love of Christ, which by the way, the love of Christ both means Paul's love for Jesus and also Jesus' love for Paul. He sees both. He goes, I love Jesus and I'm compelled. Also, I know the love that Jesus has for me and I am I'm compelled. That word compelled, it means, it means, let me define it, it means constrained restrained, hemmed in. It means somehow, it means this this idea of control. The love of Christ controls Paul. It constrains him. It restrains him somehow. Uh, By my house, if you live in Phoenix, 
Some, all of you live here, I think. Most of you live here anyway. Uh, you're by a canal somewhere. We have canals that have been around for a long time. If you haven't seen one, if you haven't been here long enough, I don't know. Just start walking, start driving, you'll see one. By my house, there's a canal. It's under construction. They drained the whole thing. And I was driving by it the other day, and you realize they, they at some point, poured cement down into the canal. The, the whole canal is filled with cement because they want these canal, these waterways, to be able to irrigate fields far away. And so they just have water running, but they want it to go in a very specific way. They want to control it. They want to restrain it. They want to constrain it. They want the water to go where they want the water to go. The water can't go wherever it wants. The water is constrained by the banks of the canal. And just like the canal with the water, Paul's saying, the love of Christ, it constrains me. I can't can't break the, the bounds of this to do what this love of Christ compels me to do, which we're going to talk about in a moment. You might say, well, what is what is the love of Christ compelling me to do? We're going to get there. But the love of Christ, it constrains Paul. It restrains him. He is, he is so committed to the love of Christ that he is compelled by it. He is controlled by it. And he sees that this love of Christ is so compelling. It's so awe-inspiring to him that he can't help but look at it and conclude that it is everything to him. We say, well, what did, he, what did he conclude? Why is he so convinced of the love of Christ for him? So the love of Christ compels him, it controls him. But what is it, like, how does he know that, that Christ loves him? What does he know about this? And he says, well, we've concluded. Look what he says in verse 13, in verse 14, excuse me. For the love of Christ compels us. Since we have reached the conclusion, he is sure. He's come to this place of understanding something. He's concluded this in some summation that he's been given a gift. Jesus has given him a gift, and the gift that Jesus gave him is something that nobody else could give him. It's actually something that he couldn't even get on his own. The only way he would be able to get this gift is if Jesus had given it to him, and he has concluded that this is the case. And notice what this gift is. This gift is that in Adam, he was dead. Look what it says. Look what it says. Verse 14, we've reached this conclusion that one died for all, and therefore all died. What he's talking about there is the old story. Maybe you're not a church person. You don't know what I'm talking about. Adam and Eve were created. And they said, God said, don't eat of the fruit of the tree. Because if you do, you're going to die. And they didn't listen to him. They were tempted and they ate the fruit anyway. And as as soon as they ate that fruit of that tree, death came in. And it wasn't physical death because they still lived. It was spiritual death. They were not able to be connected to the God that made them anymore. There was a spiritual death that took place. And Paul's saying in Adam, this one person that died, we all died. Paul's saying we had no more access to the spiritual life that God gave to us. That was over. We had no more access. We didn't have a ticket to it anymore. You ever try to go uh, to the airport and try to just bust your way through TSA without a ticket? You ever try and do that? 
I wouldn't recommend it. First of all, unless you want to spend the night in prison, I wouldn't, wouldn't recommend it. Uh, but it, you can't. You can't do it. You can't just try to run through that airport and go, you know, I don't have a ticket. Let me just bust through TSA. doesn't happen. You know why? You don't have access. You need a ticket. You need access to get through that to get into the other part of the airport. And Paul's saying what happened when, when, when Adam sinned is that I lost my access. I lost my ticket. I'm on the outside looking in. I have no more spiritual life. It's over. I can't get in there anymore. But, verse 15, He, Jesus, died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves. It was a reversal. Adam, he died. We all died. The only way to gain access, the only way to go from spiritual death to spiritual life is Trusting in Jesus, who died and rose again from the dead, and gave me the ticket, gave me the access. And Paul looks at this and says, I've been given a second chance at life. It's not just a small thing to give a second chance at life, spiritual life, it's everything. There is no joy without spiritual life, there is no hope without spiritual life. There is no genuine love without spiritual life. Listen, there is no hope in hardship. There is no God that walks with me through the valley of the shadow of death so I can fear no evil. There is no, none of that. There is no trusting in a God who sees and knows and plans and guides. I have none of that access I have none of that joy. I have none of that hope if Jesus didn't die for me. He's like a man who was dead and who came to life. I was reading a story in March of 2016. Walter Williams, he was 78 years old. He died. And he, they took him to the morgue and they performed all the tests on him and he didn't have a heartbeat. He, didn't have, he wasn't breathing put him in a body bag. They're ready to embalm him, and he sits up. Can you imagine? I actually read the the article. said something like, and he sat up, and they called 911. Now listen, I guarantee you they left something out. They didn't just go, oh, he called 911. No, no. There was probably panic because dead people don't just sit up in the morgue. Like, that doesn't typically happen, you know? It doesn't work. Paul's saying, I sat up in the morgue. I sat up in the morgue because Jesus died for me. I've been given a gift. This is a gift of life. I didn't deserve it. I don't know why Jesus did it for me, but I was dead and I've been given life. The question that Paul asks and answers is, okay, what do we do with that life? And the question, that, the question that you and I want to answer this morning is, what do we do with that life? As we look at Jesus, what happens? What is it that we do with this life? Because I, I, want, I want to look at what Paul did with his life and what Paul calls us to do with his life, with this life that we've been given, Christian. And I want to ask the question, are we going to actually follow this or not? Look at verse 15. 
Remember I said Paul is constrained. He's compelled. He's hemmed in like a canal. He, he can't do anything else but what he is, he is called to. There's something that's controlling him. This love of Christ controls him. He's convinced of the love of Christ for him. So he's controlled. He's constrained to do what? This is what he's constrained to do. He died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Paul is constrained to no longer live for himself, but to live for the one who died for him and was raised. Paul says, I don't have the freedom to break the bonds of the canal and just live for myself. I don't have the freedom to do that. You know why? I am controlled by my love for Jesus and his love for me. My life is forfeited to no longer live for myself, but to live for he who died and rose again for me. I want more Jesus, is what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, what I need in my life is not more of me. What I need in my life is more of him. It can't be about me. I was dead in my sin. And he died for me and he gave me a gift of life. I am no longer free to live how I want to live. I can't break the bonds that he's put me in. His love constrains me. It controls me. And I think if Paul were here this morning, he would look around at us and say, Hey, Anchor Church, let me just tell you. I told the Corinthians a long time ago, let me tell you again. You aren't free to live for yourself. You're controlled by the love of Christ. And maybe he'd say, if you don't feel that, let me ask you, are you controlled by the love of Christ? Because if you're not controlled by the love of Christ, man, you better get on it. Don't you know that you, in Adam, you you died and and he gave you a gift of life. What are you going to do with it? More of Jesus? Less of Jesus? I hope it's not more of you. What does it mean for us? Because we think about our mission. More of Jesus. But our mission statement, let me restate it for you. Inviting people to live generously for Jesus in all of life. When we think about that, here's what that means. It's assuming that you're doing that. We don't, want to, we don't want to invite people into something that we're not doing, right? Now, we're not going to do it perfectly. If you're like me, man, there are days, I wish this wasn't the case. I wish I was a perfect pastor. I'm not. If you ever meet a perfect pastor, run from that church. Because there are no perfect pastors. We're all a bunch of idiots trying to figure it all out. If I'm on a pedestal, knock it down. I don't want to be up there. It hurts when you fall, all right? The reality is, uh, we, we try to live generously for Jesus in all of life. It's not going to be perfect. But when I live my life, I want to live my life looking at him in everything that I do and hopefully lifting him up in everything that I do with the power of the Spirit whose purpose is to point us to him and to tell the world about who he is. 
and his gospel. So we want to recognize that this is our mission to invite people to live generously for Jesus in all of life. The question is, and for us this morning, what does that get us? Besides the obvious of eternal life, which shouldn't be small, all right? We say eternal life, well, that's it? Yeah. Eternal life. Let me, let me give you a real practical on something that it gives us as we think about, I want more of Jesus. We're told, Jesus tells us, we're to build our uh, house on the rock. And what he means by that is we build our house on, on him. If you build your house on sand, it crumbles. If you build your house on the rock, which is Jesus, which is himself, then it stands when winds and rains and everything comes and it begins beating down your house. If there's any part of that house that's foundation is sand, it will fall over. It needs to be built on him. I think we're tempted in this world, and in America in particular, to build our house on multiple things. Sometimes it's on Jesus, Christian, but oftentimes it's on some other things. Oftentimes we build our house on uh, the amount of money we make. Oftentimes we build our house, our spiritual house, on our health, on our promised future, on our political party winning an election, on the friends we have or don't have, on how good a church's programs are or aren't are, on how good the preaching is one week or another. Sometimes we just build it on an ideology that we like. What are my preferences? This is where my house is. My spiritual house is here. And if any of those things begin to, tr to crumble, if any of those things begin to fall apart, which they will, and any of that is solidly resting on the sand of any of the things I just mentioned and not on Jesus themselves, we will feel like everything is falling apart. If we, if we see Jesus as small, if we don't see him as more, if we don't continue to look and say, I'm going to give my life generously to Jesus in my time and effort and money. Yes, make money and have a job and get a family and have kids and have good health and work out and do all these things. Of course, we do all those things. But when they fall apart, if, if we have not built our life properly, spiritual formation discipleship, if we've not done that on Jesus Christ himself, the rock, then we will feel in those moments as if every single part of our lives are falling apart, will question God, where is he, what's he doing, why is he not for me, I don't know when we have this crisis of faith. But church, listen, if we are constantly working to remove politics from our faith, what I mean by that is that my hope in America doesn't rise or fall by which political party wins. Because the bottom line is, it doesn't matter. Jesus is in control of it anyway. If, if I don't say, man, my life is, is good, my joy and happiness is here because I'm making X amount of dollars a year. Look, what if your job goes away tomorrow? What if you can't have children? What if you don't get married? What if you have cancer? What if you get diagnosed with chronic depression and anxiety? What if, what if your marriage falls apart? What remains?
because the Christian life should be one where we say, I'm firmly planted on the rock of Jesus. Though all else fails, Jesus has me. And you think, well, Jason, come on. Like, how do you know that? People, you know, where do you get that from the text? Because Paul, you know, he was seen as, as nuts for loving Jesus so much. What did it get him? Let me just uh, fast forward in 2 Corinthians a little bit. 2 Corinthians 11. Let me tell you where Paul's hope was and what it got Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is what we read. This is Paul's life as a Christian man, as an apostle. Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. This means 39 lashes. Uh, this is what Jesus received. Paul had that happen to him five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers. Toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing. Not to mention other things, there is the daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. And you'd think Paul would say, listen, people think I'm crazy, Lord, because I love you so much and I am for you so much. Where are you? Don't you think you go, I, what is going on? Like, I have given my life to you and I'm beaten you know, five times almost dead stone. People thought I was dead shipwrecked. I'm doing this all for you. I've given my life for you. I've sought to, to have more of you in everything. I've sought to invite people to live generously for you. What is it? it hasn't gotten me anywhere. All I've done is just trusted you more and more every day. He doesn't say that. You know what he says? I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses. And he's talking about weaknesses being all of these things he just mentioned so that, listen, Christ's power may reside in me. I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecu persecutions, difficulties. And we wonder why people thought he was crazy. You might think, I think he's crazy. Because you might think to yourself, I don't take pleasure in any of those things. Guess what? Neither do I. But you know what? The more we have our feet on the rock that is Jesus, when those things come, we won't feel like the carpet's been pulled out from under us. We'll feel like, well, I don't know what tomorrow is. Here's what I do know. I'm convinced that Jesus loves me. And I'm controlled and compelled by that so that this life may no longer be lived for me, but for him who died for me. And may the people around me that are watching me think I'm crazy like Paul. Because I want people to look at me and go, why are you so joyful? And I say, well, because 
I have a, a king who died for me. And my life has lived for him. May it, may it be so. Our mission is to get more of Jesus, inviting people to live generously for Jesus in all of life. This is what we are at Anchor Church. This is what we're trying to do. Do we do it perfectly? No. Are we trying to grow in it this year in 2024? Yes. If you're a part of this church, am I calling you to invite people to live generously for Jesus in all of life? Yes. Am I calling you to live generously for him in all of life? Yes. How do we live this out? Two ways. One, evaluate Jesus in your life. Can you say, I no longer live for myself? I'm convinced, I'm controlled by this love because I concluded that one died for all, Adam died for all, and therefore I died. But Jesus died for all so that those who trust in him can live, and that's me. I've been given a gift, so I am going to do my best to live my life, not for me, but for him. Some of us struggle when life's hard because we, we want to throw faith out the window. Some of us struggle when life's good because we don't want to remember Jesus. We have to work to, to find that middle ground of saying, whether in sorrows or in joys, I will not elevate myself over him. He is the one I live for. May it be so. Let me, let me just throw a, a quick note to you as well. If you're not involved in a community group or a huddle, I say this all the time. This is one of the ways where you can assure yourself that you're around people who will point you back to him. My huddle group, I love those guys. We're going through stuff, and it's just a great reminder of who Jesus is. I, every week, I just look forward to it. I'm like, yep, I'm going to remember Jesus. I'm going to see where, where God's working. I love my community group. I lead one. I love getting together because it's just another reminder. I'm with brothers and sisters uh, who, who are walking out life and we get to point each other to him. I want to be known. I want to know, know others. May, may we continue to do so and find connection there. Uh, second, second way we can live this out, and this is really going to our mission statement. Invoite, invite others to join you as you live your life for him. Invitation is a step that's taken intentionally. Invitation does not just happen. It's not just something we drift into. Because if you're like me, inviting other people can feel awkward. Especially if those people aren't Christians. And it doesn't mean you just need to invite them to church. Maybe just invite them over for a meal. And spend time with them. Be intentional. Where, where are you spending time with non-Christians? Tiffany and I, I've said this before, doesn't, doesn't make us better than anybody. We, we, a year ago, two years ago, we decided we just really wanted to try and find a community that wasn't a Christian community so that we could make some friendships that weren't Christians. So we joined a gym and got to know them and they know me as a pastor and it's, they swear around me and it's fine. No problems but I want them to see Jesus in me. And I want them to, I've invited them. I want to invite them in to the community. May it be that God saves them. Where is that happening for you? Are you inviting people to live generously for Jesus? This is our mission statement. Next week, Tyler's preaching on our values. We have four of them. 
purposely biblical, joyfully generous, relentlessly outward, passionately one. They're constantly morphing, changing. Some are aspirational. Some are existing. We have to grasp that. Listen, I want to remind some of you about our mission and our values and call you to be, uh, just even this year, a firmly centered person in the church to, to, to go forward and to help the church grow. I want to I want to instruct some of you that have never heard this before, that this is who we are. And as we go forward, this is where we're going. We want this to be our trajectory, to invite people to live generously for Jesus in all of life. Do you know why? Because we need more of Jesus. You know who else needs more of Jesus? The world. The world. And may it be this year, as we continue to to talk about these and go forward, that we find Jesus is bigger to us, more glorious to us, more grand to us. May we say with Paul, I'm convinced. Oh, the love of Christ, he, it controls me. It, it doesn't free me up to just be a selfish Christian person, but to live my life for him. Amen? Yes? Let me pray for us. The band, you guys can come on up here. Lord, may it be that our confidence is not in us, but you. Lord, pray that your spirit, as you sent your spirit down to help us, the helper, that that your spirit would be active among us, convicting us of sin, we might repent of sin, to to, to, uh, regenerate and change the hearts of those around us as we proclaim the gospel, to highlight you and your working on the cross and and, and what that means for us, to, to continue to be active among us, to show us your power and to work in us, Lord. Make 2024 be a season where we see that more and more. Father, what a gift it is to glorify the Son. Would help us to, to do so in such a way uh, that people would look at us and say, man, they're, they're out of their minds. But also, it's compelling. May the love of Christ control us, compel us. Because we've concluded this, one died, therefore all died. But Jesus, you died so that we may no longer live for ourselves, but for you who died and rose again from the dead for us. May it be so, Jesus. Be highlighted in our lives. I really hope that you were encouraged by the sermon today. You can learn more about us at anchorchurchgilbert.com. We'd love to have you join our mailing list. You can do that on the website. If you have any questions for us about who Jesus is, please let us know through our website. I hope that you were encouraged.